0: Three, four. All my role models are on TV for the wrong reasons.
1: Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm your host, John Williamson, and we are back with a returning guest. Uh, For those of you who have been listening for a while, uh, Kevin, his name should sound familiar to you because we had him on about two years ago, I believe it was. And Kevin is a uh, stand-up comedian out of New York, New York and he just had as of the time of the release of this uh episode uh he'll have just released uh his first stand-up comedy special called The 30-Year-Old Virgin. And it is available anywhere that you can find rentable streamable content, so uh iTunes, Amazon Prime, Google Play, um any of the cable on-demand services should have it as well. Uh it's really funny and uh I was actually witness to a couple of the, um, the stories in his standup, but it's, uh, very identifiable. I think for a lot of us who grew up in, uh, like Christian households, uh, there's a lot of, uh, stories and jokes that, that he pulls, uh, all of it actually from his actual life. And so we talk a lot about that on this episode. Uh, there is, uh, some strong language in this, uh, episode. So if you're kind of adverse to that sort of thing, um, and we do talk about, um, some very like kind of uh real topics we'll we'll say spicy topics maybe um so if if that's not your cup of tea that's okay we'll be back next week with our our uh regularly scheduled content um but this one was a fun one to do to 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 catch up with Kevin and and talk about um what went into creating this special based on on his life so uh, check it out. Hope you like it. And uh, as always, support the band. Uh, the band's name is AJR. Um, really cool group. And um, we we're happy uh, to be able to use their music on this episode. So go out and support them. Um, and as always, you can you can find, if you forgot the name of the band, if you go to Spotify, if you happen to have a Spotify membership, if you go there and uh, search our name, not only will you find our podcast through Spotify, uh, but you'll also find our uh, playlist that we update every episode that comes out with the bands and the artists that we use. So you can, you can, uh, follow our playlist and, and get updated every time we use a new, new artist. So, uh, other than that, www.thedeconstructionist.com, you can go there to keep on, uh, top of what we're up to, follow our blog, link to us on social media, buy a t-shirt if you want, um, or join our Patreon family. If you want to support us in that way, we've got, uh, uh, Book of the Month Club and, and some other cool stuff like that. Uh, what else? Hmm. Ah, yes. Uh, you have probably heard some ads in this episode. So we've been fortunate enough to partner with some, some cool um, companies who are sponsoring us um, now through the end of the year. So uh, if you uh, want to support them, if you uh, if if that product sounds appealing to you, uh, make sure you use our discount code and you'll get you'll get a discount on that on that product. So uh, with that, without further ado, let's get to this episode. I give you Kevin James Doyle. All
0: my role models are on TV for the wrong reasons. Wrong reasons. This time of year. I'm feeling weird, might be allergies, wanna move out, but when I move out, who'll be proud of me?
1: Um, so yeah, we had you on, what was it, two years ago, I think? Oh my gosh,
2: yeah, because it was right before I went to Edinburgh Fringe.
1: That's right, for the first um, time, right? You've been twice now?
2: I've been twice now, and yeah, the first time, I think we did it in, it must have been like July 2017, I oh, think wow. was when I did it.
1: And here Which we are is, at the apocalypse. So you know, yeah, glad, yeah, I'm glad you got your special out before we all died.
2: <laughs> I know. Every yeah, it's it was really important to achieve this dream of mine before uh, the end of the world. You know, <laughs> right? <As> we,
1: <laughs> Just snuck it in.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, it was it was one of the most surreal things to um, to be in Scotland. I was above this bar called Southside Social, and now it's like a different – they changed the name of it. But, um, you know, like you're standing on the street flyering and getting any and every person that you can convince to go into your show. And there was someone that came up, and he was just like – they may still be listening. And uh, they were like, "Uh, hi. I was like, how would you hear about the show? Because you always want to know. And someone's like, "Uh, I listened to uh, the Deconstructionist podcast. And I was like – That's so crazy. Oh, my gosh. When you piece (laughs) – because it's like for, for any performer's dream, especially if it's a play or something, there's more distance from it. But if your name is just like, you're a comedian, you want to know why people are seeing your shit. And yeah, so anytime you can piece together, like they read about it in a newspaper or in this, and you're just like trying to figure out how you can get people to come to your shows. So yeah. doing that and then having someone come up and say that, you're like, oh my gosh, it's like magic, yeah. you know? yeah.
1: Yeah, so. it's crazy. I wonder if it was because there were a couple guys who we met up with when we went over um, a couple years ago, and uh, I, I wonder if it was the same same guy or I don't know.
2: I'll send you the picture because I remember okay. it was one of the early early shows, so I could probably and there weren't that many. I remember getting a picture with them, so I can send it over to you.
1: That's so wild. It's still yeah. it's still crazy. Like you, you, especially when you're doing something like a podcast where you you don't you don't have an audience in front of you and so mm-hmm. the uh feedback is kind of delayed or whatever and sometimes like you don't know like who's listening if they're liking it or not unless they write you like yeah. an angry iTunes review you know yeah I, like the one you sent me that was fun i i i, I should give that guy a <laughs> shout out <laughs> shout
2: out to the heretics out there
1: that's right dude that's right.
2: <laughs> we have um we have and this is since i was on last but um i do a podcast called the bradshaw boys
0: yeah, talk um, about that. And
2: we're 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 watching Sex in the City for the first time ever, and you know, like I'm sure you experienced this too. You you have to just enjoy whatever idea you're doing because, you know, assume no one is going to do to watch your thing. You know, right. it's harder with live performance, but you know, to be, but still, that is a lot of doing comedy. It's like four people. All right, they came, <laughs> but but we probably did. 30 or 40 episodes where it was just me walking into the the Apple stores and giving fake reviews of our podcast <laughs> and like, and then like looking at our numbers and it would be, you know, like, like 22 people listened and then 10 of our friends would text us and be like, we loved that episode. And it's like, all right, we got 12. But I mean, we're doing like in the tens of thousands of listeners now and people from all over the world. And Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, has listened to it now. And she's been that's on the podcast so well. a few times. And it's just one of those things that you're like at the end of the day, if it's just me and my friends watching sex, the city, that will be enough. But then once people start to listen and you have people from Sweden and Australia, <laughs> yeah. and which I'm sure, cause I remember when you first told me you were going to start this podcast, I was like, dude, that's awesome. And then it was like, you asked me for advice, even though I didn't do a podcast just cause comedians do it. And it was like within two weeks of it being out, I was like, yeah, I have, I couldn't <laughs> even start something that does as good as this buddy. So like you, you became, it was like a year after you started this, like I came to you to be like, what do I do to start a podcast? You know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, but, man. but
2: yeah, it's, it's, it's been going really well. And it's just kind of magical to, uh, to find out that there are people around the world, like listening and being like, we, loved when you brought up this, like we make dumb jokes and people will message our Instagram account and it's, you know, it's magical, you know, it's cool.
1: Yeah. It's super, it's, it's incredible to think like, cause yeah, when we first started Adam, Adam and I, like we, we figured maybe a couple hundred people from Columbus, Ohio will listen to it.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so like our intention was just to do one episode a month, you know, for a year. So like 12 episodes, mm-hmm. you know, if we were lucky. And, uh, so then we reached out to a bunch of people. I remember for, for interviews, just thinking like, we have no business even asking this person for an interview. There's no way, you know, that, that they'll say yes. But if we throw out, we're just playing the, the, uh, the math game, you know, like if we throw out like 50 emails, one of them will probably say yes. Right. You know? Yeah. And then it was the weirdest, most serendipitous thing for the first, like two months, everybody said yes. And we were like, Oh, I remember early on we did. I think four interviews in one day, which I will never do again. We were both just yeah, so yeah, yeah. exhausted, but, yeah. but it was nuts. And then it just kind of took off. Like all of a sudden, I think the first year we did weekly episodes with no break and just yeah. went at that pace for the whole first year and then kind of got our, got our legs under us and figured out like how to do this better. You know?
2: Well, I think that it's, it's interesting because there is like a lesson in that, that in my It was my 35th birthday yesterday, so, like, I'm a little, like, not nostalgic, but you're just, like, (laughs) thinking about your life, you know, and you're just, like, there's high school and then there was college. But there's so much – the best lesson that I've, like, learned has been, like, you know, you kind of decide what you're going to do and impersonate your best impersonation of a person that wants to do a thing, and then people start believing it as you – as you keep on doing it. And that was what it was like for me as a doing comedy was like, you know, you just start, uh, going to open mics and, you know, telling people you're doing it. And then you are that. And then that was, I always wanted to go to Edinburgh fringe festival. And then I literally just chose the name of my show before I had written the show. And I told people there was a show. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. I, And it was because I was scared to tell the last story. So I was like, I'll call it the 30-year-old virgin. And that way I'll be forced to tell this final story rather than, you know, then I'll like paint myself into a corner. But even that, like any relatively successful thing that I've done has been from pretending to do it, to just be like, look up, be like, how did other people do this? And then just do your best impersonation of that. And then (laughs) at some point people are like, coming to you for advice to be like, how do I do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival? And I'm like, well, what I did <laughs> is applied and just took a flight there and showed up. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, I, right. There, There's like, there's a little advice you can give, but a lot of the advice is like, they're like, and then how do you get people to your shows? And I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> <Like> they <laughs> right. just, besides standing on a street corner and begging people, that's all I know. But- I don't know. It's like a good lesson in, in all of the both things we've done. Like you kind of just impersonate that until you then all of a sudden, you know, it takes off or it doesn't, you know. But right, right. it's not from like some expertise you get beforehand that you're like, I'm finally ready right, to do my one man show <laughs> and put out my comedy special, but
1: you know, like right, you stumble through it. Well, and you put you put a ton of work into it. I remember <clears throat> I was talking to your sister the other day. Uh, yes, we still talk. By the way, <laughs> I was gonna. I thought it'd be funny if I introduced I, you as uh, my former brother-in-law f- family member. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, I didn't know.
2: I was like, we didn't do like a pre-interview because it would, right. seems weird since we like know each other, we're friends. But I was like, right. it's like, do we talk about how we're we're not. We're brother-in-law, ex-brother-in-law, yeah, well, like you're, you're my, my niece's daddy. <laughs> <I don't
1: laughs> yes, right. That's, that's right. That's Yeah. That's, but. that's how we should have, uh, introduced yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, my niece's uncle, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. But I was, I was talking to Jamie about the the fact that, you know, she had asked if I, uh, if I'd gotten your, uh, standup or if I purchased a special yet. And I was like, yeah, I, I, um, I'm saving it for tomorrow to watch it or whatever. And we were talking about this like a week or so ago. I'm, I said, you know, what's crazy is like, I remember, uh, one night where you had sent me some, some audio files of some of the jokes that made it into the special, like years before, like you had started putting together your hour in like their infancy, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just said, you know, I, it's so cool to see like you take those jokes, the germ of like what would become a bit and to Mm -hmm. see it come to fruition in, the hour that became your special. So like,
2: yeah, I, I remember one of the, like some of the very first things, and this is a lesson for me as I'm starting to try new stuff now is like a lot of times, uh, there's some things that I jokes that I have in my special that were the first comedic things I came up with. And they weren't funny for a long time, but the idea was funny. It was just like, I didn't know how to make it a well-constructed, good joke or whatever. And um, I find that encouraging because usually like, um, I don't know, usually like you're kind of right. It's when you overthink things that you start being like, I need to be extra clever. But some of those first things that I did like ever on stage ended up in the special. And I just wanted to make sure that they were um, – I was driven way more to tell, like, a story and put jokes within, like, a story rather than just have them be a random thought and then move on to another random thought because I'm like, ah, oh, then, like, you know, like, to have a – sometimes you just have to find, like, the right home for a joke or the right part of a story. And so it is funny. I remember probably having, like, 15 minutes and – of material, but being like, not wanting to just like put it on YouTube and be done with it. I was like, I I want this to like, I don't know, have some reason for existing rather than just be its own little anecdote or whatever. So, yeah. So it's, yeah. But all all that to say, it's like, man, that was, yeah, this, this special in general was like a long time floating around in my brain and then a long time to like tighten it up so it's fun that it's out in the world now and people can finally see all of it
1: yeah it's it i think the cool thing for me was kind of watching you just kind of tweak things here and there and like to see it in its final form like and notice like the subtle differences and 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 like oh yeah that oh that's hilarious i like what i like what he did there you know it's just kind of cool to see that kind yeah. of you know that growth
2: well it's funny because like even even like even taking out a mo- like a moment doesn't work on stage. Then you're just like, okay, oh, yeah, never mind. Like, there's ten minutes of that cut out of this this show. So even <laughs> me, I'm like, oh, it's so funny to watch, like no stutters and no bad transitions because you can cut to another camera and cut that out. Yeah. And it, and the the meat of it is all the same. And and sometimes you know, sometimes I could imagine like it it would be interesting if some people filmed. Um, I'm sure some people leave those warts in. I've seen some, some uh performances that it's like if it was one camera, I've seen some like Chappelle stuff on YouTube that it's just like it's like him at the comic strip and it's just him for an hour from like a really crappy camera. Yeah. And you don't want the well-curated version or whatever. But it's it's just interesting to see like after years of uh watching cell phone videos of me to like read my listen to my jokes back to see like an HD. You know, it's like, oh, wow, like <laughs> you look like a professional kind of, yeah. you know. So, but yeah, man, it's it's been a long time coming. It's I, I put so much work into this and like it is cool to watch it pay off because you're like, it does take a lot, way more work than I ever thought it would to like make something uh, good, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like when I started, I was like, I probably do this 20 times and I'll be ready. And it was like 90 shows plus all the times before. So it's a lot of work, but it was definitely worth
1: it. Yeah. Talk, talk about, so obviously like you, you went over and, and, and you uh, performed at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival a couple of times, yeah. uh, which is amazing. And Edinburgh of course is a, mm-hmm. just magical city. Um, but when, what, what came about, like, how did you decide like, okay, I want to film this. And then what went yeah. into all that? Cause it, cause Corey, the most humble human being in the universe <laughs> And this one yeah. of the sweetest human beings in the universe. Uh, he, I saw he directed it.
2: Yeah. Um. So the, I would say like if I were to start. First of all, the best thing, and this is so people that are listening to like know what it's about. But in Edinburgh, I honed my pitch because people give you there's so many shows, and people would be like, people would be like, "What's your show about?" And I, you know, after a few times of being like, "Well, um," I'm from New York and I'm a comedian. They're just like leave, neck on to the next show, you know? Yeah. And so uh and it ended up being all of my press materials were what I ended up just repeating out of stress to get people into my show in Scotland. I would just be like I grew up in a Christian home. I was saving sex for marriage. I got engaged, broke off the engagement a month before my wedding and woke up in New York City, a 30-year-old virgin. And then...
1: Like <laughs> your own single, trailer.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. And then every single person in Scotland would always be like, 30-year-old virgin. You're still a virgin. And I was like, got to come see the show. And they're like, now that's funny. We're going. You know, like, it was like watching, watching like figuring out how to, the marketing aspect is so much different than than like the artistic thing. That's just like, man, how do you get people... To walk into that room and buy a drink and listen to my fucking jokes like, it <laughs> right, was like, right. um so but the germ of it was like i don't know the germ of it is like i've been doing comedy for 10 years and i have a few clips and a few of this but it's like you know you want people to see your stuff and i just um i probably could be could have been better about getting more stuff out there but you know, I just wanted something that was well done and not thrown together. And my roommate, um, my roommate is the director of photography and he's a, you know, incredible cinematographer. And Corey, my uh, kind of, he, I did a comedy show with him in East Village and he's worked at Fallon and worked at Colbert and he works at Bon Appetit now as a director. And, you know, he's won a few Emmy awards and he, You know, And you would never know. (laughs) Yeah, you'd never know. He's the nicest dude. And and in all honesty, I think it was like, um, it was one of those things that I achieved all of my dreams with it, which was like my dream was to go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and do it. And every single show was a success in some way. And I got a few reviews and like people responded to it. And I literally left the country for the first time to go Do this like crazy scary thing and then and then the thought of it like not i was like i can't just move on to another show and i was probably i was probably like sad tipsy at some point because i just remember telling my roommate i you know i didn't want to ask anything of him because he's already really busy and working on very good documentaries and like, (laughs) you know and i was just like please (laughs) <laughs> Will you please help me film this? Like, and and he was like, yeah, man. And I was like, I just want it to look good and I don't want it to be stupid, crappy cameras. <laughs> and like, and it was it was totally all my friends like doing me favors. Like, you know, whatever money is made off this, like they have like a percentage in it, which like, you know, once you get on the business end, you realize how little money there is in... <laughs> <laughs> comedy and art in general until you get to a certain point. But like, um, but I was basically like, I just begged my friends and I have incredibly talented friends like Corey, like I said, won two Emmys. Um, and then the guy who did sound Lee Sullivan, he's been my friend for years. He does sound for Warner brothers. So for oh. like, he he worked on lady bird and he's, you know, worked on little women and he does all these. So he works for this guy who does all of the Coen brothers sound skip who's like always nominated for Oscars. And, and, um, and yeah, so it was just like taking all of your friends and being like, will you please help? And they're of course, like, they want to work on cool stuff too. So they're like, yes, the show's great. Like let's film this because you know, we want things to direct and to film. So um, and then from there, literally here's another lesson. Like, We we googled. There's this cool online thing called like The Outlet. They're like an online publication, and they have some cool like interactive articles. And so I googled how to film a comedy special. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's how we started the podcast. How do you start a podcast? That's how we did it. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And and then and then it's about uh, Rory Scovel. um, Oh yeah, Netflix special, and it's about how they filmed that. And then, of course, they sent it to Corey. This is classic Corey. Um, I would be like, can you get Nikki Glaser on our live show? And he'd be like, yeah, I'll text her. And then, it, you know, like, he's just, his, yeah. he, he, he produced their show. And, and I texted him. I was like, hey, this is a really interesting article. And it kind of goes through what we need to do to film the special. And he's like, oh, that's great. The the director is Scott, who's a friend of mine. I'll text him and we'll talk. And so, <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, it's So much of our friendship has been me being like, I wonder if we could ever get Jim Gaffigan on the show. And Corey's like, oh, I'll email him. (laughs)
1: Like what? Okay.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it it was just like a totally friend effort. And um, And then it came out. And then you realize, like, if you have talented friends, like, it doesn't look like a real comedy special. It actually is a real comedy special because those people are experts at what they do you know, and it just feels like surreal to see it. Cause you're like, that looks so good. And, and, uh, and yeah, it makes you be like, I should uh, have asked earlier, you know?
1: Yeah. But it, it's, what's cool to me about it is the fact that you have such a good community of people around you in New York city that like, it's a labor of love and, and it feels like a Kevin project because there's uh, a little bit of Corey there's, you know, um, yeah, it just feels like that, that's, Of course, that's the right way to do it, you know, versus hiring some stranger to come in and and film it for you.
2: Yeah. The, yeah, there's like a, I, I'm, I've become, it's been like a problem I've had to deal with with myself that it's like always looking for outside validation when it comes to things of like, you know, it'll, I'm sure it'll happen literally this week. I'll be like, I wish I had a manager. And then there was one point, like I got a manager and they weren't great at what they did.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: they were like, and then it's like, you know what I need? I need to do this. But every, all of the most fulfilling projects that I've had have been putting work in to do it as excellently as possible with, with your friends and with people that you, you don't trust because of their resume you trust because you've like lived their resume with them. And because you know that they care and because they've, they've been doing this for a long time as well. So, you know, I could, it, you know, there's, there's just no excuse now to not make your own stuff just like you're doing with this podcast and all this stuff. And, and this was the same for this. Like, I think if someone would have like, I don't know, like you have special care, you care about like the lighting. Like if I had, if I wasn't working with my roommate who was the cinematographer I wouldn't have cared about the lighting. I would, if someone paid me to do it, like they would be in charge of that. And it makes you care about those creative decisions and, you know, which ultimately I think make the project better and more fulfilling because, you know, you're, you're, I don't know, you're not just like go on stage. Like you're going to be a stock kid. You're like, (laughs) how do I, how do I package this thing and how do I make this the best it can be? Because it's my project, you know? Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Frankly, I'm scared of clowns. It together, it me down. But when you talk it's like, wow, I'm not crazy. Yep, 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 yep. Don't kill me cuz I'm just a messenger. I already
1: Yeah, before we get into the venue cuz the venue is very unique and a beautiful uh facility. uh talk about the poster because the poster is amazing.
2: All right, so this is another lesson in doing, um, listening to your smart friends and <laughs> and like trap. Like if there's a story that you want to tell that you're scared to tell, but you know deep down you want to. Like this is another chance where I was like, I have to force myself to do that. And so I had the synopsis of the show, and I I was like, do like a crazy poster that is just like me making a silly face, the comedian face. It's like,
1: meh. yeah.
2: and my, my friend Sarah w- designed this poster. Um, I wish I could find it. I, uh, I actually may be able to find it for you to post, but she did a design for it, and it's kind of like a saint. I look like a saint. Yeah. And there are, I'm barefoot in a suit, and I have like a little cross necklace, and then I have like the halo behind my head that has triple, three X's on it. And then I have um and then I have a bunch of uh condoms at my feet and I have a uh my joke notebook in one hand and I have my engagement ring in the other hand and then I have fire on my crotch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of thought that went behind all of the little bits and pieces of this.
2: <laughs> I mean like so my friend Sarah sent it to me as a poster design and I was like, hey, this is great, like <laughs> Probably like a little over, and she was like, "No, she's like, you need to do this for the show for the market. And she's like, she gets paid tons of money to do marketing. Like yeah. she knows marketing, and that's like, <laughs> and and then at it's every time I put one of those flyers in someone's hand in Scotland, they would be like, "Whoa!" Anytime I would post about it, people would be like, "Dude, your posters dope!" Like, yeah. It and then and then Jeremy, my roommate, who is also the director of photography on special he also um he was the photographer for it so they worked together and it that was another thing that it forced me into uh you know those of you that are listening that haven't seen it um (laughs) the condoms on the floor the engagement ring and the fire in the crotch all are uh, <laughs> elements within the greater story. So I hope I hope that wets your whistle.
1: Yeah, those aren't just random things in the poster. <laughs> yeah,
2: and, and then also then Sarah, then like when you work with someone who is smarter than you, even Sarah said the triple X is because it's like a very like, you know, revealing, sexual, like uh, edgy show in that way. You know, and then also XXX meaning 30. Oh, and I was just like, I was like, geez, like you're
1: you're just doing me a favor.
2: You didn't need to to overthink this.
1: That's amazing.
2: Yeah. So I was like, man, like that is so, like, I don't know. It just makes you thankful for friends. I can, I'll send you a picture of the poster. So,
1: yeah, perfect.
2: So you can see it. But, but yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing. I remember the first time I saw it, and I was just like, "Whoa, this is this is legit." Like, n- now this is. I real. got the
2: post I got the poster before I ever did the show, so that is another "fake it till you make it" moment.
1: But it was just really? like,
2: oh yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, That's amazing. Yeah. So, so uh, talk about the fact that like, obviously you mentioned the fact that you, you did a ton of shows. Like I remember, you know, the first time I went to see it and you did a ton of shows around New York, you went to Edinburgh uh, and performed it a couple of times. And also I think it's worth noting that like when you say fringe festival, people think festival like music festival, where all the bands are booked, there's a built-in crowd. That's not at all the case, right? For Edinburgh Fringe Festival, you have to like work your butt off when you're there.
2: Yeah, you have to go out and flyer your show and, you know, pitch your show to walkers-by all day. Like, the the difference between, like, Times Square and New York is if you're like, hey, comedy show. I'm sure, like, um, a lot of – some people may have seen the show Crashing, which is Pete Holmes' show. And, so good. You know, I'm sure there's some crossover with your listeners. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, he does that in the show that's like, hey, comedy show in New York, like, I'm sure that maybe works – one in a thousand, but for the most part, it is much more soul deadening in that show and in New York, because in Scotland, what was amazing is having done that in New York. Um, and then in Scotland, like you work your ass off for your show, but then 30 people will show up, yeah. you know, like I would do it. And someone, I was like, How, Hey, and they're like, we saw you like four days ago, you gave us a flyer and we, we saved it. And you're like, Oh, like, because people are there to see stuff. So yeah, there's like, it's the biggest arts, fe- performing arts festival in the world. There's like 3000 shows happening from 10 a.m. to 4 a.m. And every type of thing, there's literally just like uh drag game of Thrones parody. And then there's like, you know, a, a production of Othello, you know, right. there's and then there's like juggling and kids shows. And there's, um, you know, like the life and times of, of of Conor McGregor comedy sketch program and then there's just stand up comedians you know so that's where um that's where Chris Gethard developed um career suicide which was uh, maybe like I saw that show I kind of the style of that show is similar to mine that it's like more comedy storytelling um a lot of people over there do I don't know they experiment with the stand up comedy one-man show form over there more so than over here it's like way more a style over there which which is something that which is why I wanted to go there yeah
1: yeah that's that's an interesting thing I that I want to talk about too like when you were first starting out and decided you made the conscious effort because you had done like a a play like you had written Mm -hmm. your own uh show that was on off broadway for a number of years very successful Mm -hmm. how to be a new yorker and then, and then I remember you deciding like, you know what, I, I think I really want to try and really make, make the comedy thing go and make, make it work. Yeah. When you were making that decision, like, how did you come about deciding like what style you wanted to go with? Cause obviously, like you said, you're, you're more narrative which, uh, which I would compare to like a Mike perbiglia where mm. you're, you're storytelling, you're, you're pulling from your, your actual life versus like standalone bits. Like, was that a conscious yeah. decision?
2: Well, yeah, it, it, it wasn't the beginning because I saw, I moved to New York in 2008 and this is like Sarah seren- in some ways it's serendipity. And then in some ways it's just, it's the way life works, which is like, you're drawn to something, but someone just gave me tickets uh, to see sleepwalk with me, Mike for oh, so good. like the third, the third day I moved to New York. And so, I was familiar with stand-up comedy and I was familiar with plays, but, like, I had never seen anything like that. So, like, it was the same as going to a play in that, like, I didn't go to a comedy club and you got a playbill and you sat down and someone came on stage and wasn't just like, all right, hey, whoa, look at this, uh, whoa, hey, nice pits you know? Like, <laughs> right, it was not, right. like Which is, like the way comedy clubs are, and those are great. Um, But it was like, I remember seeing, like, that for the first time. And also, if anyone hasn't seen or listened to Sleepwalk With Me, he it's like a storytelling comedy show, but it's also so incredibly daunting to go re-listen to because it is so packed with jokes. It is, like, <laughs> it's insane. Like, it is truly, like, like... 50 laughs a minute. It's like very daunting. So it's definitely not a rambly storytelling even like the Moth. He developed some stuff on the Moth and was on the Moth, but it's it's like the funniest story and also the most heartfelt comedy combination. Like Yeah. And um and yeah, like then so that's why when I that's what made me want to try comedy and then then you're just trying to make people laugh once you're like on stage you're not like i'm gonna be more heartfelt here people you know you're literally (laughs) like doing whatever you can to entertain people and then but then the better the more that i the longer that i did it the more i was like the only times people laugh in an honest way with me is when i'm like telling a true story from my life i would work so hard on a joke that was like very witty and very just like like a pun and like a twist of words and like i i love like mark normand is a great example like he's so such a great tight joke writer and there's a guy um obviously jim gaffigan like he's so funny about if i do observational comedy people look at me and they're like what (laughs) are you doing like and um And another thing is that I get really angry on stage sometimes. (laughs) And if I'm doing that about an inanimate object or about another person, sometimes it would come off as mean. But like when I, when my anger comes from an embarrassing moment about what I did, then I just notice people like laugh more. So I just started taking more and more embarrassing moments from my life and telling them on stage, um, One of the most, one of the more recent one that's not in this, so this isn't like anything from the special that people will see, but like, I told this story for years to friends and never tried it on stage, told it the exact same way I told it on stage or to my friends and people laughed. And it was basically like, I was teaching a kid how to play chess and, um, the mom is, is, uh, African-American and we were just talking and then she was like, yeah. She was like, uh, she was like, um, do you think, uh, I think uh, uh, Dylan, my son, I think he wants to be white. And I wasn't, didn't understand what she meant. And so I was like, when, you mean when he grows up? And she was like, what? And I was like, like, he wants to be white when he grows up? And then I looked and he was setting up the white pieces on the chessboard. And... I've pulled that on stage now and people laugh, they cringe and they laugh and I've never w- worked less hard for a joke than that. Cause it's <laughs> right. literally just what I said. And then me looking at her being like, I want to fucking kill myself. <laughs> Why would I like,
1: um, I gotta go return so, some videotapes. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, exactly. I mean, but that was, that was from like telling people, that story. And they're like, you have to tell that on stage. And I was like, why wow, that's legitimately humiliating. <laughs> right. That's not like that to me, still even telling to you it now, like, it's not funny now. It's still really embarrassing. <laughs> um, but <sighs> That's kind of like usually a litmus test for stuff that I, that ends up doing well for me on stage is just like, you know, being embarrassed. And this story was a 30 year old virgin was like a lot of really embarrassing stuff that I think, I had performed enough that I knew like hopefully I can endear myself to the audience and this won't be gross and this won't be crass and it'll just be the truth, and there will be some laughs along the way, but it was it was like i don't know it's this sounds so pretentious, but it is true that like I personally love when there's like truth in comedy and and that is what I'm most drawn to, even more than you know, that's just the thing that I feel most drawn to. And it is like, whenever people are saying true things and this was the closest I could get to that of like what I would want to see if someone else lived my life, I'd want to know the truth about it. And so it got me more into telling real stories. And if I was lying on stage, I would honestly feel guilty later. I was like, why'd you make that up? That didn't happen. Right. You know? Um, so, so yeah.
1: But you still got that when you first, uh, started doing this material. Like people didn't believe that, that these stories actually happened. Like I've had to tell my friends who have seen it. I'm like, no, no, no. Like that actually happened. I was actually there for one of them, (laughs) you know?
2: Yeah. I had to get used to, um, the beginning, the beginning joke of the show is telling people I was a 30 year old virgin. That's the title of the show. And still, when I talk about how, like I didn't sleep with my fiance, it's like 40 minutes into the show and people are like, no. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah. And I think it's from people being like getting so used to hearing the show go along that they're like, but you mean, you don't mean your fiance, like you you slept with your fiance. Right. And like, um, you know, in that, like you're kind of, you're put into a position as a comedian to, you know, that's why you don't do one show. You do lots of shows so that you can because sometimes if people don't believe you, they'll stop laughing or they'll they'll start paying attention to something else. So you have to think of ways that are funny along the way to remind people like this is true or if something isn't true, it's like a complete joke. You know, it's, you know, like there's... Um, so yeah, the, those just end up being things because you can't yell at the audience to tell them what to do. It's your job to get them to believe you. So it was interesting. There would be times that as far as like a performance would go, if people afterwards were like, was that whole last part true? And I was like, I'm clearly not doing my job as a performer and writer. <laughs> right. If the last 20 minutes, the person is just being like, Is this true, because you don't want them to think that. You want them to be engrossed and be like on this journey, not just being like, this is a lie. This seems like a lie. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> I'm gonna have to fact check this, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh. So so talk about um obviously like you, you got to the place where you felt comfortable enough to say, I would like to put this on film where other people can see it where potentially I could reach a much broader audience. So like how did you choose the venue? Because the venue uh played so well into the poster, and I know you probably didn't intend on that happening, but there's a yeah. and I won't give it away, there's a shot at the very beginning when you're walking into the venue that's just money.
2: Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. I think, like, all of this stuff, it's cool because you spend so many years trying, having random creative projects and this and that, and then, like, when there's something you're really proud of and really want, like, it is cool to get your wheels spinning to be like, oh, in a comedy special, sometimes there's, like, a little intro. Do I just want to show me walking in? And, like, you know, like, everyone knows the whole, like, New York City, like, walking into the comedy club. Right. So we, I was like, also, I was like, there's kind of like some expectations. If someone's clicking on something, you want to set up the the story of the show. So it's kind of me walking around New York City, and then I walk into this church, and I thought that that just seemed like an appropriate way to begin to tell the story. So people are like, what? The title? <laughs> and then they're like, all right, I want to hear what this guy has to say. Right. As far as the church goes, this is where J.P. Morgan went to church. No way it's still JP J. Morgan's like trust still funds the church. And so it's called St. George's Episcopal. It's like one of the very first AA meetings in New York city happened here. And it's still continuous. They have like, they have tons of meetings there. They have a preschool, they have all of this stuff. And they also are like incredible supporters of the arts. They have, hmm. um, I've seen, I've seen like, a bunch of plays there and play readings and, and I've seen jazz music there. And I, and so I went to them, I asked them if I could film here. They were very, very accommodating. The room has like low ceilings. It feels like if, like, it feels like if there was a comedy club in Westeros in Game <laughs> of Thrones, Yeah, this is where it would be like, grab, grab some drought and
1: your flag of wine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a two mutton minimum, right? Uh, and, but it, it, it was like a good comedy room and there was something that was like really important to me that was like, if I can do this, uh, in a church, I would love to, uh, I would love to s- s- tell this story in a church because it has a lot to do with my upbringing. And it has, I think most people that get in the position that I was in gr- are, have a religious background, but then also it's just a beautiful space. Like Bill Burr uh filmed his one of his specials in in like a cathedral huh. uh, in Nashville. I think it was turned into like a performance space, but it looked great with like the organ behind him, you yeah. know? So it was like, on one hand, this is number one most important thing is that the show is funny and that it is uh and that it is an appropriate place to have a comedy show as far as the dynamics. And then, you know, if there's like an added weight that adds like a little drama drama to it and a little bit of um not just drama, but um but uh not I don't know what the word is, but it just adds it adds to it comedically, especially once I start doing the more I don't know, risque material. Yeah. You know, yeah. the first review that I got, I got a review just the other day, which was great. They gave it four stars and they said like, this is not the, um, this is like stuff this, though it's filmed in a church, there's material that would make the devout blush. And I was like, that's <laughs> exactly what I wanted. Like right. people are used, people are going to be used to hearing Louis CK's dirtiest material at the comedy cellar, you know, or like, or or Bill Burr or Dave Chappelle or Amy Schumer um, or Ali Wong, like you're tuning in ready for whatever they talk about. And, um, but you're not used to seeing it in a church. And so, um, so yeah, it, and then the Reverend um, of the church who, who I asked for the space, he sat in the front row the very first night. We've already rented all of the cameras. Oh we set up all of the lights. <laughs> and I, you know, literally a production budget is like completely spent. And, um, and he's sitting there and I'm just like midway through. He could literally just be like, this is not, no,
1: no. <laughs> just pull the plug.
2: This is not, no, this is, yeah, just pull the plug. And I would be like, I... Just lost a lot of money Um, (laughs) yeah but at at the end he was super complimentary and not only that but he was like um, he was just like this is like we need more of that which which is great because I think like there is like a huge desire for people to talk more honestly about all about everything in life you know and so this was like it was just cool that they trusted me with that knowing that like their name was going to be attached to like i don't know a long joke about blowjobs <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Right. laughs> in a church um, yeah
2: yeah exactly but um but as you know but you know i i commend them for doing it and it i think it added to the it just added to the show a lot
0: i think. i'm a good pretender i'm not really. I'm a good pretender cuz I'm just like you I do not believe in you you clearly do. but I'm a good pretender so I'm just like
1: Yeah it's it's a, a absolutely stunning space <clears throat> and I and I love like the uh kind of how it was inter kind of interwoven throughout your special and and like it was very creative in the way that I don't know if it was you and Corey and your roommate or like who kind of came up with the flow of it. Um, cause it's kind of in parts, right? Like it's kind of in chapters.
2: Yeah. The other, that was another thing that like, I got super depressed when I read this article that said, um, that, you know, Netflix I think like uh, they said most st- uh, stand up specials get turned off at like 38 minutes. Wow. And that includes and that includes their biggest stars. So it's not just unknown people. And I when I watch stand up, I'm I'm looking at it you know like from first of all uh, the closer is usually the best thing, but then also how are you managing that time? You know how like you can't enjoy something if that's what you do. Like I can't, I'll never be able to 100% turn my brain off and enjoy comedy and even some theater. Cause I'm like, I want to be on stage or I want to write that play or I want to be doing stand up. I can't enjoy a concert though, because I don't want to be a musician. Yeah. Um, and so I would sit and when I sit down and watch standup, if, if I like it, I want to watch the whole thing and see how they put it together. And I read that article and I was just like, man, I was like, I'm about to put out first of all, I have no fans, and if I do have fans, I have 15 of them, and they're friends of my family, and the rest <laughs> are my family. You know what I mean? Like
0: yeah.
2: um, when you think and I was like, what what justification do I have to ask someone to spend 80 minutes of their evening with me? You know, especially now knowing this that most people turn it off and the show leads to something. And so it was we made it in chapters because I thought of it in, in chapters. When I was on stage, I'd be like, "The first chapter is about um, <laughs> masturbating as a kid, and the second <laughs> chapter is meeting, moving to New York, and meeting my girlfriend. And then the third one is getting engaged and going to counseling. And then the third one, fourth one is losing my virginity, and the last one is the fallout and consequences from that, which you'll hear about." when you go watch The 30-Year-Old Virgin on Apple TV or Amazon Prime Video. <laughs> <laughs> but it I thought of it in chapters, and then I was like, if there's any chance of me getting a stranger to spend not 42 minutes with me, but like all 80 minutes, if I can get them to be like, huh, what's what happens next? Um, and so we put chapters in there that are kind of um, liturgical in a way. And they, and, and, um, and my favorite thing, you know what I'll tell, I'll tell you because there's no way for people to find out what it is, but I have these like sung Latin interludes.
1: Gregorian chants. Yeah.
2: (laughs) They're Gregorian chants, but they say like, really, they, they say jokes from the upcoming parts. So like the very, no way it's translated into Latin and in actual Latin, not like Google Translate Latin. And there's a very talented singer who doesn't want to be named in my special because he has like a real job. And he is in a Gregorian chant singing, um, "The first time I masturbated, I thought I got my mom pregnant." <laughs> <laughs> oh my and then God. another one. And then another uh. one. He's saying the another one. He's saying uh, there are there are sores on my penis. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh. So, it sounds so like it sounds like something that you just pulled offline from like a, you know, like a Gregorian chant CD or something.
2: No. That's one of those things <laughs> it that It sounds really professional. professional. It's it is very professional and the mm. person should have been paid thousands of dollars because like they they're a very legit singer and they <laughs> And uh, and the translations were done by like an actual uh, like pert- person with a PhD in Latin. Oh my god! And it was just such like a to be honest, like there's one of those things where it's like there's the easy way to do it, but if you find something funny, even though the joke isn't always gonna land for everybody, yeah. whatever, it's worth it's worth doing like that for the future to come of being like, I always had this idea that I wanted this Gregorian chant saying this crass thing in a church. And, and actually I got a text from them that said the Latin translator. And they were like, this is the word for penis, but it's, but this is the word for Dick. And which one would you prefer? And I was like, ah, let's do, let's do Dick. Cause the other one said like, it was like, or something it's too close it was just like it's too obvious it was too obvious and i was like and the other one was like the more like crass version back in back in 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 latin Where, and uh and yeah i was like do the dirty one and i was like and i like also i don't know so it's just like a fun inside joke but it, it also adds to i don't know for me it added to like cool this is like the way i want to tell this story it's just like another funny detail i
1: love i love how somewhere at some point there's going to be like a, a 60 year old uh person who's listening to it and who's like gosh that's so pretty you know and yeah <laughs> not have any idea they're like i wonder uh i wonder uh which album this is on you know
2: <laughs> yeah is there any way i can get the yeah totally <laughs>
1: totally Oh, that'll be, it'll be really funny if, um, if the person who's saying it, the guy who's saying it <clears throat> gets nominated for some sort of award for it, you know? And then he's um, like, do I accept you, the award? What? How do I, <laughs> like, can, can I do it anonymously? Award. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And he has like a voice changer. He's like, when I did this project, I did not want to be attached in any way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. So, so there is that aspect of it though. I wanted to ask you about that. Like, obviously yeah, you, know, you come from a Christian background, which is, uh, has a lot of influence on, on kind of how some of these jokes are, are ultimately like these mm-hmm. stories about your life came to be. Um, and, and obviously there are going to be some people out there who, who watch this, who are, who are Christians who are like, Oh, it's about a, a mm-hmm. guy who's a Christian talking about all the crazy things that happened to him growing up or whatever. Yeah. Like, have you gotten any like kind of weirdo backlash from that or people who are just kind of like, I can't believe this, you know?
2: No, I haven't so far, but I, I have had some um, anxiety in a way about that because, because like I I thought about this a bunch because um, I did a interview with Nadia Bolts Weber yesterday. Yeah. Who, um, who's awesome. And like, she, when I was doing some research to like do a talk back with her, you know, you see some of the stuff online and some people or your review that's like heretic. Right. And, and there was just some anxiety that was just like, I I was thinking a bunch today about it that I was like, you know, I, I don't have a message with this show. Like I have a dramatic message and I have like, there's, there's themes in the show, but, at the end, sometimes people would want to know like my stance on things. And I was like, (laughs) this isn't a cop-out, but it's like my stance on things was like, was that, was, were you entertained? Were you compelled? Was that funny? Was that dramatic? Um, And it was like, I don't know. It's like, what's, what's your stance after seeing my show? And um, how does that Change because all I'm doing was reporting a story that happened to me, which I think like more of that should happen. That it's like, it, it, it bummed it. What, what would happen is like it, one of the germs of the show was like knowing how many adult men and women that I know that were virgins that were having oral
1: sex, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a real thing, I was, but nobody talks yeah. about it,
2: yeah, and I was just like. I was like, listen, like, I don't talk openly about that. And then I'll talk to, or certainly to like my Christian friends or or like the different, uh, you know, it would be a different answer for different audiences. Right. And then I would talk to some friends and like, I, I have some like friends that are, that are not Christians at all and they would just be like, oh, like, I'm sorry. I do like, like, I, I wouldn't do that unless... It's someone who I'm in a long-term relationship. All these like different inter-rules right. that you realize are made-up rules that have nothing to do with the Christian world, have nothing to do with the secular world, right. have nothing to... They're literally made for you, and you're living by them, even though there's no one kind of... They don't really come from anyone besides the thing that you you made up for yourself. And so for me, it was like, the hypocrisy that i saw in myself that was like that that i was just like i don't i don't want to have a stance on this that is just like i've changed my stance on oral versus penetrative sex <laughs> it was like i want to talk about it though because i don't know i because so many people are talking about it not on a microphone or it's someone outside just being like you know, there's fucking Christians who fucking get their dick sucked and like, and don't have regular set. And I was like, I, I think, yeah, that'd be a hilarious uh, joke, but that's, but not from like the inside of someone who actually did that. So right. sorry to be crass to those <laughs> listeners that maybe are cringing. I'm, I'm trying to, I don't want to overdo it. Cause I don't, you know, I, I don't over do it and have you turn me off? but
1: um <laughs> we're so, past we're past 30 minutes it's okay yeah <laughs> if they've made it this far
2: um, yeah and so it part of it was just due to like like wanting to wanting to talk openly about something that i actually um see as quite universal is like all right people don't get married some people don't get married till they're 35 36 37 and there also is not like a huge it was it was just this is what happened in my life that's all it is right you know this is what happened in my life. I tried to be a virgin and I didn't have sex with my fiance, and then I tried to not masturbate, and so i I found this funny loophole where I like literally had sex with a bed in a hotel like <laughs> you know what I mean like right not me trying to gross people out it's also not me taking a stance pro pro sex with bed and hotel or anti it's just a thing that i did and i and i told people about it you know
1: but i, I Does think that answer your question? You know, yeah like, i but i think i think you're onto something i think that was what was so refreshing about your stand-up and the stories that you tell it's the fact that it's so relatable on so many levels for a lot of people like maybe you know like in varying degrees but like there's so many things that are taboo within christianity like the christian community like you you know like this idea this in, insane idea that well, if you're a real Christian, you don't masturbate, or if you're a real Christian, yeah. you don't have, you don't have sex before marriage, or you don't you don't say the word fuck. You know, like all yeah. these ridiculous standards by which a lot of Christians don't measure up to, but are secretly mm-hmm. kind of like doing those things or saying those things in secret. If we'd all just be a little more honest and say, okay, like. Yeah. like, yes, you can still say fuck and be a Christian. Like it's okay. Yeah. I yeah. think God has bigger fish to fry perhaps, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, I, I think of my, like, I think like you have to be really, I think with some of your listeners, it's probably preaching to the choir a little bit. Cause I'm sure a lot of people are more open-minded, but I know like when I grew up, someone like Sufjan Stevens.
0: It's yeah. like
2: that's my that's my favorite Christian musical artist, you yeah. know. And and it it's taken like a change in a lot of people in our generation to be like that's so weird that that was not a Christian artist, even though it's like that's a person who's a Christian making art. Right. You know. And so for me like it's way more people are way more accustomed to it now I think with like Pete Holmes and that guy. Um, well, even like, I don't know, this is kind of interesting. I, I am familiar with him through my through my sister, who's a fan of his, or of his, his uh, my younger sister. She showed me his comedy, but like John Crist, mm. it, and I'm, I'm literally not trying to, this is not, well, it's not bad what I'm saying, so it's not starting causing drama, but I don't know him. I've never interacted with him. But I did when his sexual stuff happened that he like got in trouble for, I was like, part of that is like something that I was like, I don't, I wouldn't want to work in a place where then I like my fan base would find out that I let them down. Like I wanna be able to be on I felt really bad for him because I don't necessarily think if <laughs> I don't know, like if you sexed with a person and they Want you to sext them, and you want to sext them. I don't think you should necessarily have to apologize to a fan of people that thought you were a non sexting person. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right? Like, um, and I, I know there was some stuff. I don't know all his allegations. I just felt for him as a person who has a Christian fan base, and then had to answer to the Christian fan base because they expected him. And it's like I w- don't want. I wouldn't want any of my – I want my life to be free and clear and honest and not have people be fans of me or be – expect, um, I don't know, like expect anything from me from a moral level besides being the, the best person I could be or whatever. Yeah, And I don't know. That's That's the thing that, like, makes me feel bad for some people with Christian audiences because I'm like, mm. man, then, like – then what happens when you creatively want to put something out and you can't because literally there's like a price tag that you have to pay, right? And 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 you're you may have a mortgage, you know, like you yeah. can't. I I love punk rock, be as punk rock and be like I do whatever I want for my art as yeah. much as anyone, but you know there's realities to that too. And so I do think like part of me putting this special out as my first thing was something that I was like, I want to make sure that I kind of have like my life story out there. Cause that's something I want. I've wanted for a while. And I would love for people that are not interested in what I do to, to be able to tune out early on, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: To not like find out later to be like some story, like 10 years from now. And people are just like, did you know he lost his virginity and <laughs> You know, I don't know, like I, there was just something that like, I wouldn't want anyone to be ever let down by, by my life, by the things that have happened to me. Um, because I think that's too much pressure for some people. That's too much pressure as a fan to put on, on creative people. And I think it would be suck to be creative and then to be scared that some secret's gonna come out about you. Like that is too much to have on your shoulders.
1: Yeah. It's, it's funny. You should say that. Uh, I interviewed, uh, the, the lead singer from the band Hawk Nelson, um, Mm -hmm. a few weeks back, John Steingard, um, super nice guy, like very, very smart. Um, but he was, we were talking about that, just the nature of the Christian industry, the Christian music industry, just being a Christian artist in general, and how you're already restricting your ability to reach like, a a fan base, you know, cause it's very, mm. it's, it's a very specific fan base that you are providing content for. And then even within that, like you have to be very careful in terms of what kind of art you put out, because that could, you know, that could restrict or, or shrink down your audience even more so, which is already yeah. shrunk down, you know, yeah, in some degree. Yeah. So you can't like, and, and along with that, because of that, like you are constricted in terms of how, I think honest you can be or, or, or how like there's, there's a lot of thought that has to go into it. I think.
2: Yeah. I, I, and I'm not a, I, I'm not a, and also I'm not like a Christian music basher or Christian movie basher. I think that's like, I think I really think sometimes when people are like, and Christian movies, they're bad. I'm like, you know what else is bad? Like in every movie, most <laughs> movies suck. Yes. You know, like I'm like too long has Kirk Cameron gotten too much flack while Hollywood puts out shitty movies as well? Okay. Yeah. Like Vin
1: Diesel still makes movies. Like I, exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. yeah.
2: So I was talking to someone the other day and they were just like, yeah, man, all Christian movies suck. I was like, listen, do not like there will be some good ones one day, right. you know, but like a- anything, anything good is, comes from some sort of place of honesty. And I would hate, I, man, I would hate for, I don't know, like, there's also a thing of, like, Seinfeld is funnier because they're censored, you know, like, that did, like, elevate their level of humor because they found ways around stuff, so I don't think, like, I don't necessarily think you need to be able to say and do whatever you want right? Um, to make something funny or make something good, but you do have to be able to go to any, any place story-wise or creatively or emotionally, and I think those are the things that, make my skin or like hair stand up for my personal creative stuff is like, I would hate to be like, Oh, I can't tell this story. Or I could certainly tell this. Like the first time I told some of these stories, they were way too raw or way too crass. And I had to figure out a way to be as crass as I wanted to be without alienating an audience. But I never want to be able to not say something, especially if it actually happened in real life, because that's where interesting stories take place. The ones that actually happen. Yeah. So this, to, this to me was like a story that a lot of people have lived or lived adjacent to that was not ever told from an insider's perspective. And I've gotten so many people that have been like, Oh my gosh, even girls that have been like, I dated a boyfriend and there was some girl that was like, I dated a guy for like six months and we wouldn't have sex um, because he, I wanted to, and he didn't It ultimately like ruined our relationship. And then there was like another girl that was like, Oh my gosh, like that's so hot that like, <laughs> they were like
1: that level of control. <laughs> yeah.
2: There was like, so there was like weird things that came up that were like, some guys were like, man, like I experienced that and now I'm not in that world anymore. There were some people that were just like, that's amazing. Like, and then there were some people that were just like, you know, everywhere in between. There's so many people that told me about STDs that they had contracted. Oh. And, and I have never talked to someone who got, who talked openly about an STD after a show, just come up and be like, I got this one time I'm cool. Or this happened. And I live with this. Like it opened up a world of interactions to people that I would never have. And I think it was from them being like, you were honest about this. I can be honest about this. And that's like, besides people laughing, which is like ultimately what a comedy special is for someone, afterwards, being more open about their life after is like the biggest, I don't know, accomplishment of the special, I think.
1: Yeah. It's like, in a sense, you remove the shame label from something Mm -hmm. that they were afraid to talk about and you gave them permission to now talk about it.
2: Yeah, totally. Totally.
1: That's crazy, man. Um, one of the things I want to ask you about is obviously, um, the pandemic is, Mm -hmm. is still going strong, man. Still going strong. Right. Um, how is that? Cause obviously this is a crazy time to release a, a special, um, you're not able to tour to, to support it. Um, or do you sh- even work on material right now? So how, where are you even? <laughs> I don't even know.
2: I'm, I'm in, uh, I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in my apartment and okay. uh, I'm able to work as a tutor, um, online, like virtually. So it, it's tough. I've been, keeping up um doing my podcast which has been super fun and working on some writing stuff and um and keeping creative that way and like yeah i i think that there there's like a desire everyone has real quick to be like i should start a tiktok account and nothing against <laughs> right. that like um but i do think sometimes it's good to sit back and be like all right what do i really want to do next and what do what really do I want to talk about? Um, and so, yeah, so I'm working on some stuff. I've done some outdoor shows too, which are, which are fine. And I'm thinking that, you know, it's not going to be a fun winter here in New York, but <laughs> I kind of, a I kind of have a game plan to work on some writing stuff that goes beyond, um, just stand up that I've wanted to work on for a while. And yeah, it's, it's really tough. Like I don't, there's not like, a, I got the hang of it. It's like, it's like cutting off, you know, it's like, if you, I don't know if you love coffee and then it's like, no, it's not like that because you'll get over it and you'll just like not have coffee. It sucks. It yeah. sucks really bad because it's like, um, but I am thankful that I have a special that people can watch. And so in that sense, like it's better than if I didn't have the special coming out, I'd feel really bummed because at least now I'm not performing live as much, but like, Hey, like people can watch this thing. And then when I do, hopefully there'll be a few people that'll buy tickets to see me and, you know, Tennessee and then, you know, Chicago or whatever.
1: I, I think I think about these times, and I think about the one comedian that this does not affect at all, and that's Maria Bamford, mm-hmm. because Maria Bamford literally filmed a special in front of her two parents, and it was brilliant.
2: Yeah. <laughs> she she figured it out early. Yeah, it's like she's like, I'm ready. Let's, <laughs> cut out, let's cut out the middle the the middle man, the middle men and women in the audience. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I I have an idea for one one thing that doesn't require an audience that would still be kind of you know comedy in like a storytelling way and now that i'm back in new york i've i've kind of doubled down on that because i've been like this will be something that i can do and no one i don't need an audience and i think more than any time like you may not want to do it once you can get an audience you may as well be creative and like put something out there so i have an idea with that that i definitely have already been working towards and i'm probably going to film uh sometime in the next few few weeks and uh and yeah, I think it'll just keep the juices flowing at the very least, you yeah. know?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think the silver lining to all this is the fact that we do live in a day and age where technology has allowed us to kind of circumvent some of those things. Like you think back like had this pandemic hit and we're still living with the technology of like the nineteen seventies, mm-hmm. like where we don't even have VCRs yet, like you're you're basically stuck. You can't go out to the movie theater, so like movies aren't happening. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, everything just kind of stalls out.
2: Yeah. I think, I think that it's, it's been like a blessing and a curse that is like, at least we can get through it this way. But then the other side is like, you know, that is a little <laughs> sad that it's like, you can see some things changing that will be forever changed. You know, like right. that you're like seeing how easy it is. You're like, Oh man. Like I, I, I don't, I, I, I hope that I'm, I'm excited People are always gonna love live performance. People are always gonna love theater and comedy and all that stuff. And so I'm really, really, really excited because I think people will not take that for granted when we get back. I think the people that think they're just like, oh man, like why when I have all this stuff inside, would I ever need to go out? And I really do think it may not be not everything will be the same, but I do think the desire for like live interaction like will not go away, or else it would have, you know. People are always saying the end of everything, but yeah. I think people will be so excited to do that. And I think it will, you know, it'll be better than ever because, like, you don't have something. Uh, it was like we all fasted from from being around each other, and then we're going to really freaking appreciate it when we can,
1: you know? Strangers are going to be hugging one another. Like, Yeah, <laughs> like.
2: yeah. Excuse me, ma'am. I couldn't help but... S- think um would you be interested in
1: making out she's like i was gonna ask you the same thing (laughs) right 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 you're you're a human i'm a human (laughs) 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 oh man it's so true i can't wait but i know you got to get going but before you do um tell people like first of all like pitch the special where can people find it and then like where can people you have a website like where can people go yeah
2: so um my name is kevin james doyle um, the special is called the 30 year old virgin and it is on Amazon prime video. It is on Apple TV, Google play. It's put out through comedy dynamics. So they have it everywhere. And, um, if you look it up, if there's a way that you stream devices, like you can get it, it's on spectrum DirecTV, and, and all the, all the ways that you would rent a movie. Um, and then at some point it'll be on a streamer, whether it's like Netflix or, um, or Amazon prime or one of those. Um, but for now it's, it's, uh, video on demand. So any way you would rent a movie, um, that is how you can get it. And, um, uh, I would love it. It's about growing up in a Christian home, saving myself for marriage and, uh, and then, uh, leads you all the way up into (laughs) my first sexual experience, which (laughs) was quite, Comedically traumatizing. <laughs> I, I spun some pain into some entertainment. So, yes. so I hope you enjoy it. And then, my I'm on Instagram and and Twitter, most mostly on Instagram, but I also do a podcast called The Bradshaw Boys. If you want to hear three guys watching Sex in the City, um, <laughs> we've had on Kristen Davis and Cynthia Nixon and all the cast, and uh, it's it's actually a super great show that brings up a lot of. Um, a lot of good conversation about dating and life in New York City and modern modern romantic life in general. So, um, so yeah, you can listen to my podcast, The Bradshaw Boys, and please watch The Thirty Year Old Virgin. And if you do, give it a rating or a review because you know I'm just trying to get people out there to, to find out about it. So,
1: perfect, man. Well, it's great. I've seen it uh, uh, in person. I, I'm fortunate enough to have seen it in person before things hit the fan. Um, I watched it again when it came out. Um, it's such a well done uh, special and, and I could not be more proud of you, man. So thanks for, thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you so much. And, uh, love you. It's, it's great to have you as, uh, it's, it's cool that we get to do this after, you know, the divorce and still like, I still consider you such a good friend and such like a still consider you a brother. And I just, appreciate
1: and love you, man. Oh, love you too, buddy. Feelings mutual. And, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep doing this. So when yeah, the next absolutely. special comes out, we'll have you back again. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> All, right. All right. All right, man. I'll see you. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you.
0: Bye. I hope they don't make fun of you when you grow up and go to school. Okay. Cause winter is a badass name. I hope you talk to girls Or boys or anyone you like I just hope you don't stay in every night Cause I wish I was out tonight ah, 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 ah. It really doesn't seem like there's anyone for me But dear winter, I hope you like But shit, I gotta meet your mom first Dear Winter, I hope you like this song And even when you're 13 and you scream at me for parenting you wrong I hope it's still a badass song doesn't seem like there's anyone for me But dear Winter, I hope you like your name You know I cannot wait to teach you how to curse But shit, I gotta meet your mom first Dear Winter, don't move too far away And please don't say I'm hovering When I text you to ask about your day want to hear about your day ah, 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 ah. Will we still hang out and talk When I'm no longer in charge Oh dear winter I hope you like your name I hope you let me take a shot with you On your 21st But shit you gotta ask your mom first Dear winter looking for your mom I gotta find a girl that doesn't mind that I'm inside my head a lot winter it won't be too long first I just gotta find your mom